Hello, studio teacher friends. Welcome to episode 115 of the Beyond Measure podcast with Christina Whitlock, your anytime piano teacher friend, here to help you navigate all the feelings around this beautifully exhausting profession of ours. Welcome, welcome, whether this is your first time listening or, well, your 115th, I am grateful to be in your ears. As promised, today we are looking at the process of interviewing new students for your studio. In case you missed it, last week's episode was devoted to transfer students, and it just felt natural to use that as a segue into examining the process of new student interviews. There are all kinds of things that I didn't get a chance to mention last week that happen to overlap with bringing any new student into your studio, so here we are. Today, I'm going to focus very exclusively on the actual interview process. I suppose there might come a day when I feel like tackling things like onboarding processes and things of that nature, but that's not today. I should probably premise this entire conversation by saying that I believe very strongly in running a new student interview before I officially admit any student into the studio. As I've mentioned in episode 68 on establishing symbiotic relationships, during this time, You are evaluating the student's potential as your future student, and the parents are also evaluating your potential as their future teacher. Both of these sides of the scenario are equally important, and an initial interview just gives all parties involved, the student, the parents, you, all of you, a better idea of what everyone is jumping into. I view these meetings as the beginning of lifelong relationships, so I really don't take them lightly. Every family I agree to onboard into my studio immediately becomes a family that I root for. Remember, if you treat people like your favorite people, they often become just that. So, new student interviews. Here we go. First of all, I don't even call my new student interviews interviews. (laughs) I just don't like the implication that students and their families are setting themselves up for, like, an acceptance or rejection scenario. I will say, though, that vibe totally fits some of your studios. So, go for it. I know a lot of teachers call their new student interviews like meet and greets or something to that nature. I think that's a kind of cool, like casual term that, again, fits the vibe of their studios. Again, this is great. Personally, I call my new student interviews informal assessments because I like to walk that line in the middle. 
I want parents to understand that I am running a serious operation here, but I also throw in that word informal because I want them to understand that I do not take myself too seriously. (laughs) The term assessment also just communicates a really clear view of what I'm doing during this meeting. And in the nature of that goal of assessing a student and giving a professional appearance, I offer you tip number one today. Friends, take written notes during this time, okay? (laughs) Of course, you can type your notes onto your computer or you can have a handwritten form that you fill out. But whatever you do, take notes. Not only are these notes helpful for me to keep myself on track during the assessment, but they also serve as a really fun piece of historical documentation. When a student is graduating high school and I get to look back on their original notes and find out things like their favorite singer used to be Hannah Montana and they wanted to be a pizza delivery driver when they grew up... (laughs) I mean, that is just plain fun to recall. I make notes of humorous or clever things they say, what kinds of activities we did, etc. That written record can be priceless later down the line. Let it be known, I am a big believer that your assessment form does not have to be fancy. Most of my early assessment notes are simply on a blank sheet of paper, or sometimes even just a post-it note. In a new student interview, or informal assessment, I always begin by letting the student know that I'm probably going to be asking a lot of questions. (laughs) I let them know that sometimes my questions might feel really easy, and others might not make sense. So I tell them, first and foremost, that I want them to know that I don't know is a perfectly acceptable answer. If you give students permission not to know the answers to everything in this process, it's a great way to diffuse their otherwise nervous energy. Just like I'm sure you do, I always ask some fairly basic, like getting to know you kinds of questions. Even if I have already collected this information from parents, I ask the students things like when their birthday is, where they go to school, who their teacher is, what grade they're in, what they like about their school, you know, all these likely suspects. Even if I already have those answers, I ask these questions because they are easy for students to answer, and it kind of starts to, like, prime the lines of communication. I ask pet names and favorite colors and what they like to do with their time, all the things that I'm sure you probably ask as well. Now, if you have an anxious student... And let me just take this moment to remind you that anxiety presents itself in many different ways in the lesson environment. (laughs) But if you have an anxious student who is struggling to answer your questions, then just give that part a break. You can tell them a little bit about yourself. 
You can tell them your favorite color and ask them if they like it too. You can tell them what you like to do in your free time and ask them how they feel about that. I want you to keep in mind how nerve-wracking it must be from the student's perspective to meet a potentially new teacher and to be tasked with showing them what you already know. I mean, that's a lot. It's a new physical environment. It's this new adult who may or may not be a little boisterous. But, you know, heading into that interview, your student had some kind of expectation of what the experience might be like. So during that interview process, they are still figuring out how that expectation inside their head is different than the reality in front of them. It's a whole thing, and it's a lot. So please remember that when you are trying to make sense of student behavior in front of you, they are trying to make sense of a whole lot as well. Like I mentioned last week, I feel like my number one goal in a transfer student assessment is to get an overall impression of what they know at this point in their study. Well, the same is basically true for students that are new to music study as well. I need to assess where they are in their learning journey, like overall. If they're a young student, do they know their ABCs? Does rhythm come fairly naturally to them? Or is this going to be an area that we need to awaken? If they're older... What kind of skills have they picked up from general music class or friends? Do they somehow know the names of the white keys already? How much control do they appear to have over their body? (laughs) That's a polite way of saying, how physically awkward are they? Regardless of your new student's age or background, whether they've transferred to you from another teacher or if they're brand new, You need to pay attention to how teachable this student is. How do they respond to your instruction? For me, this is a hugely important determining factor. Mind you, I'm not saying that it's about how enthusiastically they meet my instruction, but I do want to take note of how quickly they are able to pick up on concepts or how they implement the changes that I suggest. Now, mind you, I am not trying to suggest that only quick learners should be accepted into the studio and slow learners should be rejected. (laughs) That is far from the truth for me. But I do think that this information helps me envision how I'm going to proceed with that student. This includes what kinds of materials I might use or what kind of practice time I'm going to suggest they start putting in, etc. It probably goes without saying that if we are studying how a potential student responds to our instruction, well, we need to actually teach them something during this time. So, as much as I like to focus these assessments on finding out what a student knows, I am also very much studying how they respond to me and the ideas that I am expressing. There are countless things that you can choose to introduce to a student during their assessment. 
For example, I almost always have potential students improvise with me on black keys. That is a studio favorite that I have talked about many times on this show, but I love it because you can learn so much about how a student thinks about and processes music while they are improvising with you. It gives me a clear idea of how they feel pulse, how adventurous they are, and how they hear melody. Bonus, this is also something that observing parents are not necessarily accustomed to seeing, so it helps them understand my mission to teach a well-rounded understanding of how to play this instrument. Way back in 2016, I wrote a piece for Wendy Stevens' blog over at ComposeCreate.com all about how I use her rhythm cup explorations in new student interviews. In case you're unfamiliar, rhythm cup explorations is a rhythm supplement that uses plastic cups in various ways, which gives you an outside-the-box way to practice rhythm. This is definitely something you have to feel out with your interviewing student because it's not going to be a fit for every interview. But by and large, I have found that taking three minutes or so to learn and practice one of these exercises can be a terrific use of assessment time. It's likely something your new student has never done before. So again, it's giving you an opportunity to see how they respond to your instruction. You're also going to get a chance to see how they handle rhythm, steady pulse, overall coordination, and importantly, how they respond to lighthearted play. The use of humor in a lesson is really important to consider. I mean, I love to joke around and be silly in a lesson, but it is one of those areas where we also need to be mindful of how it's helping and how it might be interfering with the student in front of us. So I will link that blog post on ComposedCreate.com in the episode notes for today's show, along with several other episodes that are related to today's topic. Beyond the types of instruction that I've already mentioned, don't forget to take opportunities to work with something the student shows you. Regardless of prior study or not, I always give potential students a chance to play something for me at the piano. For eager, less self-conscious students, I will often ask them to play very early on in our first meeting. For students who are a little more anxious, I'm happy to wait until closer to the end in hopes that they will warm up to me a little more as time wears on. A lot of students will come to you knowing how to play something on the piano, or even just want to show you something that they have created at the piano. I mean, I love that, and it's always something that I want to encourage. As you observe the student playing, take note of one small thing that you could ask them to try or to improve. I love the phrase, I'm curious to see if we could try just one thing. (laughs) This might be related to a physical experiment, like relaxing their shoulders more as they play, Or it could be experimenting with dynamics or tempo or, I mean, you name it and it's an option. (laughs) 
Again, the goal is to try to offer them something to try and then observe how they respond. Okay, I'm going to offer up a pro tip. Are you ready? (laughs) When you are choosing that one thing to direct them on, try your best to choose something that the student is going to be successful with. So in other words, don't aim too high or dig too deep on that one, okay? (laughs) There is plenty of time for that after you decide to admit them into your studio and, you know, it's just a good idea. You want the student to shine in whatever task you ask them to do. That's going to get everyone in the room excited for what's to come. As we begin to enter the final stretch here, I wanted to circle back and talk about red flags. So last week I mentioned potential red flags for transfer students being teacher hoppers, overly negative parents, changing stories, and copious amounts of illegally photocopied music. A lot of you wrote me this week to ask about that last one. (laughs) The short story is I included it as a red flag because I do want my composer and arranger and creator friends to get paid. (laughs) So it matters to me that I'm not sidestepping that purchase part (laughs) by using photocopies. I count it as a potential red flag just because it's likely going to require some kind of parent education so they know why I do not work that way. And that's why I count it a red flag. Other red flags to watch out for in the interview process are families who appear opposed to upgrading their instrument, if the need be, parents who don't let their children speak for themselves, students who are argumentative, (laughs) and lastly, any family who begins your relationship already trying to bargain with you or just giving an overall impression that they are reluctant to pay the cost of your tuition. I've talked about money several times here on the podcast, and it's important that we remember that people's perspective on money and value has absolutely nothing to do with you and everything to do with their own life experience. But if you have a family who appears more than a little reluctant about the cost of your tuition at first, well, in my experience, that does not improve over time. I have a handful of families in my past where I wish I would have listened to my gut on this one and just sent them elsewhere from the get-go. Not because they weren't great students, but because the parents constantly made it apparent that they felt like lessons were some kind of hardship or like I was charging extravagantly. And I mean, even though I know better, It's just hard not to let that get you down after a while. I have a feeling you know what I mean. Let it be known that none of those red flags I just mentioned are reasons in and of themselves to not take a student into your studio. We just all have our boundaries and our limits on what we can deal with in any given season of our lives. So if a parent refuses to let their child speak for themselves, that isn't a deal breaker for me 
but it's something that I'm definitely going to take note of and strategically work to improve. If a parent tells me that they have a little 61-key piano toy at home and they are not willing to upgrade later in the year, that is something that I have to weigh heavily in my decision. All right, I hope this episode has given you some solid food for thought regarding your new student interview process. Let's go ahead and celebrate the end of this episode with a toast. Studio teacher friends from all over the world, today I give you props for all the decisions we have to make as independent teachers. I do want to say that choosing who we want to work with is a luxury that I know not all of us have. I want to acknowledge that. I have been there, done that for sure. But if you are in a position where you don't have to accept every student who reaches out to you, I want you to take this moment and just give thanks for that, will you? (laughs) And even if you are in a position where you need more students to make ends meet or whatever the case might be, I hope this episode helped you consider things to look for from the get-go. We can all benefit from spending real time thinking about the kinds of students we really want to teach. We can all benefit from thinking about what ideals we most want to convey to our potential students. Again, we just have a lot of choices we can make within our profession. (laughs) And that is why I am raising my glass to you today in celebration of the fact that you have made it this far without your brain exploding. (laughs) Cheers to that, my studio teacher friends. Here, here. Well, friends, I don't know about you, but my brain does often feel like it's on the brink of exploding. (laughs) This community, those of you who have rallied around me and my work on this podcast, you are a huge part of the reason why I don't just spin out into oblivion. (laughs) So thanks for that. And as always, I want you to come hang out with me on social media at Beyond Measure Podcast on Facebook and on Instagram. I'll say goodbye for now, knowing we are only a week away from spending time together again. Thanks so much, my teacher friends. Onward and upward, indeed. Indeed.